Welcome to Lockheed Martin Spacemakers. We live happily well beyond the bounds of gravity. The podcast that takes you out of this world for an inside look at some of our most challenging and innovative missions. We're working on habitation technologies to protect people, whether it's in orbit, whether it's on the moon or on Mars. In season two, we explore Lockheed Martin's bold vision of a future that we call Space 2050. I think about autonomous swarms on the lunar surface building new habitats. For a lot of those astronauts, they're going to have to do processing at the edge, especially as we go to Mars and other places further out. We give you an inside look at the innovations we are developing to make that future a reality. We're going to need to end this complete dependence on coming back to Earth. We just have this drive. It's in our DNA to go, to explore, to learn. The end isn't even Mars. To me, the goal is the edge of the known universe. Because getting there is just the beginning. Can't get enough of the Let's Go Eat show? Do you want access to exclusive episodes of the podcast, exclusive videos, exclusive blogs, and the exclusive Make Mine a Double T-shirt? Did I mention they're exclusive? That means you can't get them anywhere else but Patreon.com. One or all of these things can be yours for about the cost of a double shot of Old Forester bourbon. Please go to Patreon.com or download the Patreon app and search for Let's Go Eat show. It's super easy and will help us continue to make the Let's Go Eat show for years to come. That's Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon.com slash Let's Go Eat show. Thank you. Now? Now. Okay. Are we going? Yeah. Okay. Here it is, another edition of the Let's Go Eat show, another episode, I should say. And as always, let's just do this right off the top. The Let's Go Eat show is created and produced on a PC laptop's computer. New computers starting at just $7.99 at PC laptops. And remember, PC laptops, we love you. Uh, I'm very excited about our guest coming up. Mm-hmm. Pete Ashdown, yeah, the founder, the creator, well, founder, well, he created it too, yeah, of X Mission. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's not a space thing. That's not we we're not going to outer space. Well, kind of goes to outer space. I mean, I don't know how the internet works, but doesn't well, it have does, something to do with satellites? I we should have asked him we, that while he was here. Y- you're Damn right. It. We should have, but no, I don't. It, well, anyway, we'll he's gone. He left. We'll talk to Pete Ashdown. I'll call him on the phone and ask him, and then we'll we'll put this in later. Now, the phone goes to outer space. <clears throat> yes, it okay. does. All right. All right. Anyway, but before we get to Pete Ashdown, I'm, I'm just excited as hell to tell you about Sugar House Distillery. A Sugar House Distillery where they say our spirits are proudly handcrafted in the Mountain West one small batch at a time. Uh, the crew at Sugar House Distillery takes these words very seriously. They take pride in knowing that all of their products have been made with care, no additives, artificial colors, or flavors, and they want you to come by the distillery so they can show you how it's done. And they are very serious about that. I went and did that, and here's what I learned. Yeah. So uh, vodka is mostly made from ethanol, the type of alcohol. Mm-hmm. And ethanol is a byproduct of all kinds of different manufacturing plants. It's a byproduct of making gasoline. Man, I believe. Ma, well, yeah. So the, well, you mean they use gasoline? So what they do? So what most distillers do is just go to like a gasoline plant, take the ethanol, put sugar in it, what? water in it, sell mean, it as vodka. You mean they go over to the like the the, the refineries, uh, the Tesoro? Yep. But what Sugar House does is they do what everybody else claims to. 
they break it down, break their water down and rebuild it. They showed me they the corn and the grains they distill the ethanol from there in house, and they oh. make delicious vodka. Well, okay, so if you go take the tour like Dylan did, you can learn stuff. You can see how the spirits are made, mm-hmm. and then at the end of the tour. You get to taste all five of their products. Now, you have to be 21 to do it. Schedule your visit at Sugar House Distillery. You go to sugarhousedistillery.net. Try Sugar House Distillery. Locally made, high quality, and delicious. Okay. I want some now. Uh, uh, Let's go to the liquor store. Okay. Pete Ashdown. Now, Pete Ashdown. Uh, I've met Pete several times. I went to a party at Pete's house uh, couple of weeks ago, I guess. Swanky. Nice house uh, up in the uh, Federal Heights area. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. But Pete, a fascinating guy. Didn't you think so? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's one of those people that makes me realize how much I don't know. How dumb I am. He's Pete. so smart. Yeah. Very smart. Very accomplished. Good conversationalist. And knows how to eat a sandwich. And a nicer guy than me. Yeah, he's very nice. Yeah. So without further ado... There's, oh, there's some swearing in this. Yes. Pete Ashdown. This show is, uh, if you ask me, unlistenable. We've done it for eight years, but it's unlistenable. So just feel free to eat. It's okay to eat while I do yeah. this. Yeah. Okay. Eat while we talk. It, we, just, we, have, we, have, we don't have any manners on the program. None. And we have no official start. I moved into the house uh, in the avenues and just a little house. Uh, and and the I don't know what the guy who lived there, he lived there forever, and he was a smoker. And I hired somebody to come in and wash the windows because you couldn't kind of couldn't see out of them really, is that very bad? well. And the guy started washing the windows, and he went, he went, you know what this is? And I said, no. He says, that's thirty years of sm- c- cigarette smoking. That's tar. Oh my god. Ooh. It was just this brown. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Let me dig into the sandwich. Yeah, yeah. thanks. <laughs> Having our um, delicious uh, is it caprese. The right, is it the, the good, the just, one we wanted? Yeah, it's yeah. Okay. perfect. Yeah. Caprese sandwich from uh, Caputo's. Yeah. I got the American with ham and, and yellow mustard. You're an American. Yeah. No doubt about it. That's right. Uh, we're talking to uh, Pete Ashdown, who is the founder Everybody knows who Pete Ashdown is. No, no. A few people know who Pete Ashdown is. A lot of people know who Pete Ashdown is in Salt Lake City. The founder, the CEO of Utah's certainly oldest, first? First. Utah's oldest and first independent internet service provider, uh, X-Mission. And as I looked at that, uh, it also says one of the first in the country. Yeah, it was um, when I started looking at doing it. I was um, emailing people. I was I was at, on the internet at the time because I was working for Evans and Sutherland. Mm-hmm. Um, Are they still around? It, to some extent, yes. Um, they're much much smaller than they used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were, of course, one of the pioneers in computer graphics and um, made. made- Flight simulators, made flight simulators, and that was their bread and butter. Yeah. And uh, the irony of it, of of their size, is that uh, there was one time when management came to all the employees and and said, "What do you think we should be doing?" 
(laughs) (laughs) They were just soliciting input and, you know, wanted everyone to feel included. And um, one of the things I told my manager was, well, I... I think we should be doing entertainment. I, I think that's where the money's going to go in computer graphics. Um, I'm concerned about us putting all our eggs in the in the military basket because that's what they were doing. They're making these multi-million dollar flight simulators. How old were you at the time, Pete? Um, mid twenties. Mm-hmm. And um, he kind of laughed. You know, well, thank, thanks a lot. Thank but you. The majority- Ashdown, is it? <laughs> <laughs> the majority of the people mm-hmm. that used to work for Evans and Sutherland went off to work for NVIDIA and ATI. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a friend who worked companies. there about that time. I don't know. John Byer was his name. That sounds very familiar. Yeah, yeah he was, he's no longer with us, but he worked there for a long time, I think. But but anyway, yeah. you know, uh, I was I was working there and and on the internet and wanted to use it from home and figured mm-hmm. there were other geeks like me that wanted wanted to do the same thing, and so I. Uh, I emailed some of the other internet service providers around the country and said, how, how are you doing this? And only one responded, but at the time there was, you know, probably less than a dozen of them. I, I don't, and what, I probably at that time didn't even know what an internet was. <laughs> or, and you, were, we you weren't alone. <laughs> yeah. What you, year was that maybe? Uh, that was uh, 1993. Yeah, I don't, I didn't really even start using computers my wife uh, was has always been very computer savvy, and when I met her, you know, she was she, like she she knew how, she would had a Commodore sixty four, you know, <laughs> all right, and she knew how to. I like use, this woman, <laughs> and she's uh, and she to this day is a very uh, much more computer savvy than I, and she was she was into Macs and still is. Mm-hmm. She's a graphic designer, and, uh, but you know, I knew I had never even touched a computer probably and she said what when are you going to learn to do this and i said when i have to and i knew i would have to do it because in radio at that time and it just and it's like it happened overnight almost we were still editing things with uh, razor blades and cutting tape and and sticking it together with scotch tape no kidding no 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 but uh that's where you started. But so. that's where I started. And and I still hadn't had to edit anything on on a computer or anything like that. But but when probably when we started X96, that's when we started having to... When did you stop using uh, uh, media like uh, CDs? Uh, that was not, not immediately, even when we started X96. We still used CDs and... I don't remember the year exactly, but... It's all on hard drive now, though. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Everything. We have a few CDs scattered around, but, I mean, if... We st- we still should... There is a CD player in the studio, uh, and but I don't know if there are any CDs to play. I don't know if it's plugged in. Yeah, it probably is, but we should still have it as backup. Did you ever use vinyl? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, when I started in radio, that's, that's, that's what we had. Wow. That's, we did vinyl still. And some uh, tapes that looked like eight-track tape play uh, eight-track tapes, but they they weren't eight-track. They were just single-play cartridges. That's what I remember from when I was a kid, where they were kind of eight-track. They looked like they, it was could, it was kind of a crude automation system that you didn't have would, to rewind. No, they would. Yeah, they would just play these individual. You could just plug them into a machine, and they would play them one after another, songs and commercials one mm-hmm. after the other. I remember you had a big magnet. 
that you'd set them on and have to push a red button and demagnetize them. That's how you erase them. 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 Got to bulk erase them and usually when I record over them. That was usually what you had me do when I'd come to work with you to keep me busy. Here's a hundred carts. Just will you just erase these? Just go go bulk erase these commercials because we're going to put new commercials on. That's probably why I'll never give you grandchildren. Yeah, but, well, that's maybe because the bulk eraser with, killed your sperm. Too much time. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, the joke. That was, was a, my joke. Oh, I sorry. Speaking of jokes, should we yeah. let's, let's so, go back to talking to Pete Ashdown yeah. about? So you, so I was doing a little research reading about you, and you, you, uh, uh, your, uh, do you have siblings, by the way? Uh, yeah, I got uh, two brothers and two sisters. And what what kind of fields did they go into? Um, my oldest brother is uh, an architect. Um, he actually worked for a, a star architect at one point. This uh, guy named well, he, when he got out of college, he he went and worked for I.M. Pay. Oh, well, that, that's big time. Yeah, and uh, he hated it. Yeah. And um, he then went to another star architect named uh, Emilio Ambaz. And um, oh, you're you're saying star architect in like yeah, yeah I get big you. time architect yeah. does big projects, and. Um, he was uh, one of the people that helped design the Astronauts Memorial in Houston, mm. um, but he also hated that, and <laughs> finally went and worked for a smaller firm in San Francisco, and then uh, decided that uh, he, he could do it better than they could, and so he started his own firm, and, and he does a lot of industrial design, a lot of storefronts. and, and Likes that better? Yeah, and a lot of ADA work. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think he had his taste of, of big projects and decided that it wasn't for him. Yeah. Uh, my other brother is a, uh, a general surgeon. He mm-hmm. just retired. Um, he's uh, on his uh, senior mission in uh, Sapporo, Japan, with his wife right now. A, a Mormon fellow. A Mormon. Yes. You're, uh, you're all Mormon background people. Um, our, our ancestors walked here on my dad's side, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, I come from a, a Mormon background, uh, but my, uh, my older brother is the only one that stayed active in the, mm-hmm. in the church. Seems to happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 my, my, my parents were unique in that they encouraged us to think for ourselves. Yeah, I kind of got that impression from, uh, and that's it's interesting to hear you say your, your, uh, your siblings, uh, you know, uh, obviously high achievers as you have been a high achiever. Um, uh, and, and I just, and I, I mean, I didn't, there's nothing much about your parents and your, what's written about you, but I got the impression that they were, interesting people in their own right your dad a machinist and a and a teacher and a and your mother uh immigrated from uh denmark yeah at a very young age mm-hmm. um all by herself she really uh, she was um the only person i know uh, um who personally who came through through ellis island mm. one of the last people to come through ellis Island. why did she come here by herself well we didn't my mother died in 1990 and um, when I asked her about it when she was alive, she said that um, post-war, my, my mother was born in 1930, post-war uh, Europe was falling apart and it wasn't a, pl- a great place to live. And of course, the promise of America was um, very high. Um, after she died, we had uh, one of her diaries translated and found out that um, one of the motivations for coming here is that she fell in love with a missionary. Oh. Who uh, turned out to be my dentist. <laughs> here in Salt Lake? No, in Bountiful. I grew up oh, in Bountiful. Bountiful. Um, and, that, and for whatever reason, that fell apart, and uh, she eventually met my dad. She, she followed a, 
a Mormon missionary here. Yeah. They did. So it was unrequited in the long run. Uh, yeah, you know, and I, I wish I could have asked her questions about that, but uh, you know, all we all we had in her diary was this this yearning for this guy who was ignoring her. Well, it probably for the best. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, I, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. and uh, don't know it, if I'd be here otherwise. Yeah, <laughs> and, and uh, it, it's interesting. It said that she imported kitchenware. Yeah. Well, my uh, my parents. Um, we're always, you know, my dad built a machinist, but a, a, somebody who could build out um, anything out of metal. And it's funny because I have these pictures of uh, their car carrying these luggage around, luggage racks around that were like precursors to the Thule and mm-hmm. thinking, why didn't you sell those? And he just never had the idea he, to do it. He built them. He built them for his own use and didn't yeah. think anyone else would want them. Mm-hmm. Um but he. Uh, what was his first name, by the way? Bob. Bob. Yeah, and he's still sir, around. Sir, oh, he's still around. Yeah, uh, nine, ninety-three years old. Wow. Some, so, so certainly his his neighbors and stuff would say, "Hey, Bob, that's really cool. You ought to, can you make one of those for me?" <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I don't know where that idea fell apart, but huh. um, yeah, he was he he had a lot of great ideas that he just kind of built for himself, and um, for their wedding gift, uh, my grandmother in Denmark sent them a steam juicer. And I don't know if you've ever seen one of these things, but it's like a three-tiered double boiler where you have uh, water in the bottom and a juice collection in the middle, and you put the fruit in the top. I have seen those. And it juices grapes like nobody's business. And when you you juice grapes, normally you get like this clear, milky liquid, but when you do it with a steam juicer, it comes out purple. Mm. And um, so they thought this is something we we should bring and import and sell, and I have early memories of... um, Going to the Utah State Fair and really? <laughs> sleeping in a camper while my parents sold this thing from a booth. Cool. And, and um, yeah, very entrepreneurial. And, and uh, then they started doing mail order. And um, the company that, that made it in Denmark sold the design to a Finnish company. And that Finnish company expanded it to a line of stainless steel kitchenware. And uh, they sold all that as well. And that was that was the family business. And, and it did, did it do pretty well? It did. It kept us comfortable. That's cool. I mean, uh, my parents were, you know, these people, these kind of people that never uh, used credit cards uh, past the bill date and never went into debt and mm-hmm. paid for everything with cash as much as they could. Mm-hmm. And um, with that, they they showed us the world. They, uh, you know, took us to Europe. I, I was Europe, went to Europe uh, t- twice before I was ten years old. And, um, took us all over the country. They liked to go to the um, world's fairs. That they used to have. Why? Well, I, yeah. I, I don't know why they don't do those anymore. I I guess they don't, do they? Those it always they do it, world fairs, and then there were expos yeah, as well. Seattle Expo and uh, the last one I remember was uh, Dylan's mom went. I didn't go to it, but uh, when we were married, but it was in like in in Montreal or Vancouver or something. A big one there. But they don't, I, yeah, I don't think they do them anymore. I guess it's so easy to travel to the places that they don't bring the places to you anymore. No. I think Disney killed it with with the Expo Center in Florida. That's Disney ruined it for <laughs> probably. For I think all that's those. what it was. They had yeah. a World Expo in 2015 in Milan, Italy. Oh, well, maybe they still from, do. From May 1st to October 31st. Hmm. It was a really long. That's a long expo. Yeah, they were. They were. They were always. I mean, well, they, they would build buildings for these things. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so you, they, uh, I mean, it sounds, so you, as what I inferred, just the brief few lines I read about your parents, I was correct. They were 
interesting, or your dad still is, an interesting, yeah. fascinating life, and they showed you good things and taught you good things. And Yeah, they uh, they love to travel, and, and I, I think that's, um, to their credit, what mm. gave us an expansive mind about the world. You, and you were, you, you were pretty attached to your mom, too, I think. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. Um, you know, she never expressed any favorites, but um, <laughs> I, I, I had a run in with the administration of uh, my junior high school where I, I lit a uh, firecracker under the bleachers during a an assembly, mm-hmm. uh, as kids are wont to do. And I got expelled for three days. And um, I remember my dad not speaking to me at the dinner table. And I, I, I distinctly remember my mom taking me to lunch and taking me shopping. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't she punished at all. Encouraged the rebel in you a little I bit. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and she was a rebel too. I mean, she she was uh, what gave me the democratic streak. Um, we, the, 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 um, our next door neighbor was one of uh, Utah's uh, campaign chairs for uh, Ronald Reagan. Hmm. And uh, my mother could not find who was running the Jesse Jackson campaign in in Utah, so she made her own signs, partially to irritate my neighbor. Um, she would go to the ward Fourth uh, of July breakfast wearing a T-shirt that had the dictionary definition of liberal written across the front. Of it. So she she was very proud about her views That's and great. wasn't shy about it at all, and, and encouraged us to to stand up for. What was we was your dad it. a Democrat? As well, and uh, my yeah, my dad largely because of my mother. I think mm-hmm. um, my dad, uh, he's a simple pioneer kind of guy, you know, mm-hmm. and he uh, doesn't like conflict a lot. Um, so he's not going to stick it in your face, but um, you know, he believes in helping out the underdog, and and um, they were both. Uh, my my mother was a secretary for uh, Hubie Brown. And mm-hmm. Hubie Brown was, uh, 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 I don't know, I'm sure he's a possible apostle or a general yeah. authority, but a, a higher up in the LDS Church who was um, very vocal about his uh, liberal and democratic politics. There and, are a few of them, and was the Democratic uh, Party chair in Utah for a while. Yeah, so you so you go to the University of Utah and you and you're going to study film. It says there in your bio, and then boy, you've gotten. I know that was well, out there. Yeah, it doesn't. There's a few things out there about you, and it doesn't. Uh, uh, it doesn't take well or something. And you get into. I, I start worrying about making money after after uh, college, um, and, you know. And there's certainly a lot of money to be made in film um, yeah. if you're good enough and you mm-hmm. have a little bit of luck. Um, but I was also much more uh, fascinated in uh, studying computers. I mean, I'd, I'd been into computers since I was a, a, a small child, really. Um, anything that looked like a computer, I would take apart. And my dad um, taught at the Utah Technical College, which became Salt Lake Community College. And he would take me out there um, a few times when he had things to do out there on the weekends. And he would show me some of the early computers they had and let me play around on them so I was I was finding that more and more of my time was um, invested in understanding what computers were and programming computers and um, I was very intimidated by what it took to get into the computer science program um, because they screen you out at the University of Utah and they screen you out they they give you some really hard classes in front of you and I, I, I distinctly remember taking uh, differential equations and 
passing with a C and walking away from that class not understanding what had just happened because I don't, it was such a difficult class. Um, but it was one of the things you had to pass in order to get into computer science. And uh, But I, I, eventually, I eventually did jump onto it and, and get into computer science, and I studied it for a, a few years before I um, saw the opportunity to start X-Mission. And I thought I was about a year away from graduation, and I thought I could um, do both. And X Mission quickly took over my life. You, did, you, did you not finish? I didn't finish. No, I, I I have an associates from Salt Lake Community College because uh, I did my generals there. But um, no, I didn't get my bachelor's from the. Uh, Do, does that ever bo- bother you that you never uh, got a degree occasionally? A little, yeah. I'm yeah. I'm the only one in my family who didn't. Yeah, I went to graduate school, uh, master of fine arts in um, uh, theater in acting, and I never. I did the three years. I did all the thing except, and I wrote the thesis that you're supposed to write, and it's it's in a suitcase in my basement. <laughs> I never sent it in. You're that close. Yeah, I sent it in once. I didn't. I should have finished it while I was still there, but I didn't. But I sat. I sat here in Utah and wrote it, and I sent it back to them for you know review and corrections, and they sent it back to me with a bunch of bullshit corrections you know this oh don't say this and you know this is improperly worded and and it's just and it's just a a bunch of meditation and talking about some acting roles i'd done right and they sent it back with oh this doesn't make sense and this is improper and i looked at all these red marks on it and went bullshit fuck you (laughs) and i put it in a put it back in the suitcase suitcase and put it (laughs) in the basement what did you expect to get when you sent it for revisions I, I mean, I expected this is this is really a, a thoughtful analysis of your work. I mean, it was like seventy pages of some or so. I just went, Christ, and I just put it, and it's still there. Let's you send know. it to him again. Let's just yeah. see what happens. No, it's uh, I uh, I inquired about that oh fifteen years ago, and I said no the the statute of limitations uh. has run out on your master's degree, my friend. Boo. Uh, anyway. So, Where did you get your bachelor's in? Uh, theater. Mm. Bachelor of Arts degree in theater at Weber State. So so anyway, X Mission, you start that up. and uh, I, I mean, you probably had no idea. Um, I, um, I started it in a closet in a friend's consignment store on 7th East um, because of the proximity to the University of Utah. I had to buy a very expensive at the time, 1.5 megabit line um, from the University of Utah. And the further away I was from them, the more I would pay in a month. Um, so I, I made an agreement with this friend and installed 100 phone lines into her uh, closet in the back of her store. They're probably still there today. What, what was the store? Um... Gosh, that's a good question. It's like, um, yeah, I've lost it. Um, Can't remember the name of the store even? No. Um, Doesn't matter. We, we, I, I do remember what the, she, she ran, she was a girlfriend of a, a friend of mine, and, and she ran the, she wanted to get suggestions for a store name from, from both of us, and we, we both thought out of the closet would be... Out of the closet? Out of the closet would be appropriate. Hmm. But she didn't like that. So um, I can't remember what she ended up with. But anyway, um, 
set up a small server room in a, in a closet on 7th East and um, across from Charlie Square. Thought it was just going to bring me a tidy check each month and it would be computer geeks that were pretty much interested in it. And that's who signed up for it initially. People, how, did, how did people, how did you, you know, tell people that it was there? Uh, my friends at the University of Utah and um, uh, bulletin board systems were very popular prior yeah, to the yeah. internet. Yeah. Where you would dial up uh, on the modem, dial up a, a computer that would take messages and send email strictly to that bulletin board system unless they had the bulletin board systems linked with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I literally uh, went and posted uh, advertisements for X-Mission on all these bulletin board systems in town. Um, I also went to uh, user groups at the time. They had user groups for the Atari and Macintosh right, and Commodore yeah. computers and, and um, told people about what I was doing and went to... Um, there was a thing at the Salt Palace that I still have a flyer for that I set up a booth at for, uh, I can't remember, it's like a business expo or a computer expo or something. Yeah, it just it was really guerrilla marketing because that's all I had money mm-hmm. for. What did you come up with the name X-Mission? Um, in uh, computer terms, there is, uh, well, at least back then, there was uh, an abbreviation for transfer and transmit where it was XFER and XMIT. I think they lifted that from the military. Mm-hmm. Um, over the years, I've had people ask me, uh, where, where does the name come from? Is, are, are you an ex-missionary? I, I didn't go on a mission. <laughs> um, my response is always, it's, it's whatever you want it to be. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I think mean, that's good. Um, so, and, and how much were you charging people, by the way, for this? Um, for a dial-up account? I think it was nineteen bucks. It was nineteen bucks a month because we held that for a very long time. It's it's probably still nineteen bucks a month for a dial-up account, which is it's it's amazing to think that there are still some dial-up accounts. We have, I, and I had to count them the other day because we're in the process of shutting that down. Sadly, our mm. our dial-up banks are going away. Um, <clears throat> there are seven people left still really? dial, dialing into X Mission. <laughs> what are they gonna do? Well, we have we have a, a third party service that we can still have them dial into. There, there still are, there are still people. You know, uh, I have a friend uh, who's been on the internet forever and ever, and he still has his AOL, you know, um, address. Really, and and there's a number by it. It's like indicates that he's one of the first oh, AOL. Really? subscribers his email address i can't remember it right now but it's kept just, it the whole time yeah he's had it since the beginning well, and we've we've had a lot of those subscribers hang on to us for email at least because they don't want to change their email address yeah exactly yeah um and uh, so we try and you know all these these dial up we're also getting rid of our dsl service because that's uh losing us money right now mm-hmm. as well and um all these people, were, we've given them an option to buy their email address for a much cheaper price if they want. So, so you you must have had over the years. I mean, you. So here, X Mission is still independent. You, the CEO. Yeah. You uh, do you have a, a board that you answer? No, to it's or not anything? a corporation. It's, it's nothing. It's, it's a you. limited liability company. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it's so you. It comes, it comes down to me. And and you're you're still plugging along. You must have had offers. So, uh, like, they come in and say, well, why don't we just buy you? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, especially in the, the late 90s, early aughts, um, those offers were, I'd get, like, two a year. Yeah. Um, and they a lot of them were these things where they, call, they were called roll-ups. 
mm-hmm. where they would um, uh, go to a bunch of small internet service providers. You know, at one point in Utah, there were probably in, in the Salt, Salt Lake County area, there were about uh, two dozen internet service providers to choose from. Mm-hmm. And so they would go and they'd roll them up and, and make a larger internet service provider and then sell that to somebody else. Right. Um, there was one of my competitors got rolled up and it, they approached me as well and I didn't like the offer they gave me. Um, I didn't like any of the offers I got because <laughs> because I felt like I, I would do all right, um, but then I'd have to go do something I hated and um, my customers and my employees would be left to fend for themselves. Um, yeah, it was never enough that would set me up and set up the people I care about, especially, you know, some of these, I've, I have employees at X-Mission that have been there for 20 plus years. From the beginning almost, yeah. or, from, or real, literally from the beginning. Yes. Um, so I uh, I wanted, wanted to make sure everyone got taken care of and none of the offers really... Um, did that for me it just wasn't enough no no Do you ever have anybody who offered a i mean say let me buy into it you stay you stay we'll be partners let's do that you know um in the early days there was that there was like a, a guy who offered me ten thousand dollars for ten percent and um i really needed that money at the time but i felt like in the long term it wasn't going to be a good offer and i'm glad i didn't take it because i didn't need the business partner at the time um my my older sister was a business partner for a short period of time, but she left the company in 2000. Um, it's hard to do business with family, though, isn't it? Uh, there's well, and family and friends is what I call it. I think there's uh, a loyalty that comes out of it. Um, but if you feel like somebody, or if or they feel like somebody, if they want to go, if you want, if you need to part ways, one reason or another, it's very difficult. Yeah. Uh, yeah this is I I want to I want to look at the future. If you, if you can kind of predict what's going to happen with the internet in general and where we're going. But I, w- I want to touch on one thing from your past that we kind of skipped over. I, I read some stuff about you uh, being uh, starting the rave scene <laughs> in Salt Lake. What, uh, <laughs> what, what is that part of your life? Um, can't so, you tell by looking at him that he started I would the not. Scene? I would never have thought <laughs> I that, mean, clearly. that Pete Ashdown, uh, who I've met, and, and especially the first few times I ever met you, I think you were running for political office, yeah. and you were wearing a suit and you know being as uh, straight arrow as you could be. Right. Uh, you you started the... Nobody was doing raves in Salt Lake at the time? No, and this was a, a precursor to... Um, X-Mission, but not a precursor to me being on the internet. So I've, I've been on the internet in some form or another since 1988. And <laughs> that's, yeah, I sure didn't know what the internet was in 88. <laughs> and uh, um, there was, uh, there still is, uh, something is very similar to Reddit, mm-hmm. if you've been to Reddit, where you have different discussion yeah. groups and different topics um, called Usenet. And Usenet um, uh, had uh, music discussion groups. And in the early, in early 1990, late 1989, um, I got involved with those discussion groups, and um, mostly it was centered around um, industrial music, um, things like Ministry and mm-hmm. Nine Inch Nails uh, was, was birthed out of that. And A lot of the German stuff. Yeah, Einstersende Neubauten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Uh, um, 
as a result, the the electronic aspect of it kind of translated into something in England uh, called techno and rave music, and, um, and of course Detroit had a big influence on it as well. And but in England, the, you started hearing about these underground parties um, where they would find a space not always um, commissioned and legal, um, and you would find out about it um, through word of mouth and text messaging. Mm-hmm. Um, or you'd call a phone number and you'd find out when the next thing was happening. And I just thought that was incredibly exciting. And, um, you know, watched this happen in England and thought, you know, I can do this here. Um, I've got a friend who works for a, a local audio company. We can rent some speakers and um, my other friend, uh, John Webster, who still works for me at X Mission, um, took a trip back to Boston. I, and this, it, it's, it's funny to think about how we used to acquire music back in the day um, <laughs> instead yeah. of the way we do it now. But he went back to Boston on a business trip and went, and I told him, you've got to go to this um, record store called Newberry Comics. And he came back with a big stack of CDs that I suggested him for him to buy. And, um, I set up a CD player, and I I was unique at the time because I didn't use vinyl. Um, I set up a couple CD players, and and we, uh, in the basement of um, uh, Twist, right right in Exchange Place. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right right to next to that uh, building, uh, we uh, (coughs) threw the first rave in Utah. I think it was uh, around February of 1990. Uh, so does that mean drugs and lights? And- we didn't, you know, the drug aspect we we didn't want to get involved in. We wanted to be able to watch uh, the cash till and <clears throat> keep the wits our wits about us. You charged to get in. We and- charged to get in, and a lot of people came in, and the, mm-hmm. and it was a foreign concept. To everyone, I remember, I remember, you know, people coming up to me at the the DJ booth and saying, "Why don't you play some Red Hot Chili Peppers?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Because I don't have any Red Hot Chili Peppers." and you don't make requests in a situation. This like is a this. rave. Get out of it. Go. <laughs> and um, you know, I, I have some great memories of that. I mean, in, all in all, we probably threw about uh, a dozen raves all over. You know, we did them out in the desert. We did them up on top of Big Mountain. We did them in warehouses. We did one of the best ones we did was in uh, the Bennett Paint and Glass Building, Twenty First South. No, yeah. the one yeah. here on on um, First South across from the Marriott. Oh yeah, where the uh, the Japanese restaurant is in the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, we had like three stories of music going on, and I remember in the it was about two a.m. that the police showed up. Police <clears throat> finally showed up. They walked in, and there were empty liquor bottles s- scattered all over the place. I know there were underage kids in there, mm-hmm. and they came up to the DJ booth and they said. Could you just turn it down a little bit? We've gotten some complaints from the, uh, from the hotel. hotel. <laughs> yeah. and I was like, "Whatever you say, officer." And, and then they left. Really? Yeah. You know, and and as we've seen uh, with a lot of major news stories about raves in Utah, they've gotten a little bit more aggressive about it. Um, mm-hmm. But they were they didn't know what to make of it either. They just saw a bunch of kids having fun. And did you make money doing it? Uh, we made some money and we lost some money. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, we got into concert promotions there for a little bit, and we lost a lot of money mm-hmm. on that. Um, but uh, it, it was a fun experience. Um, you know, I I <laughs> I have a, a, a brother-in-law from my prior marriage where 
he, the first time he met me, he, he loves telling me the story about how I, he, he, he said, so what do you do? And I said, well, I, I'm a DJ and I've also got this thing called the internet that I'm, I'm trying to start. And he walked away with his wife and he said, boy, I hope that DJ thing works out for him. <laughs> I don't, I don't uh, know what that internet, internet Jeez, that's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> so where is it going to go, Pete? The internet is, uh, I, I, it, it baffles people sometimes, I think. It seems to me we have people in the United States Congress who don't know what it is. Oh, and that's what I ran on. Um, Isn't that bizarre? I wish we did. Um, it's bizarre. They don't know what it is at all. I mean, I'm not. I don't claim that I really know what it is. I use it, mm-hmm. but but they don't. It's it's like they don't use it. They don't know what it is. Their staff uses it. They just don't know what it is. Yeah, um, and. Uh I, I'm, I'm thrilled to see younger people getting into the Congress who, who do understand it, but I still feel like we, there's a gap where we haven't gotten any, anybody who's really versed in technology into um, the House or the Senate, or for the White House for that matter. But um, as far as where it's going, you know, I, one thing I never predicted when I was starting out is how ubiquitous it has become and how transparent it has become. Um, it, in the in the early days, of course, it was an ordeal to try and connect to the internet. Um, even if you had a modem and all the equipment going, um, it was a lot of work to mm-hmm. get the software set up properly to to connect you in and and be able to use something like a web browser. Um, now you don't even think about it; you just pull the phone out of your pocket and away you go. And, and you're angry if it takes longer than a nanosecond to connect. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What? Why is the website down? Yeah. I. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you expect a hundred percent uptime and I'm call exhibition. what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, just that, that aspect of, um, always available, always there, um, always connected. Uh, you know, I remember taking a trip to uh, a beach once and pulling up my phone and doing a speed test and just marveling that it was, it was like 10 times faster mm-hmm. than the first big connection I had to yeah. buy from the university to get to the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, do, you, do, you, do you have any feelings about the, the uh, ubiquity of it? The, the, do you have any feelings about uh, whether it's good or bad that it's everywhere around us all the time? Well, it's, it's almost a relief to disconnect. Um, I took a, a trip uh, in late 2017, um, to the Tavaputs Plateau where they had no cell service at all for a weekend. And remind me where that is. I know that it's a central Utah above, um, uh, Cedar city. Yeah. Where they want to mine coal. Yeah. It's, it's just uh, stunningly beautiful up there. And, mm-hmm. and, um, <clears throat> And uh, there's a big ranch there. You can that the, the people will uh, they have like lodging and things set up to, to, for guests to come in. But um, being disconnected was a relief. Mm-hmm. It was like I I am not getting paged. I'm not. I'm, nobody's texting me. I'm not getting yeah. notifications. I'm just offline. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that the ubiquity of it is is kind of a burden at sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it piss you off when your kids go. Wait a minute. Well, how come? What we can't take our phones? Yeah. With the way, what do you? <laughs> Back so, in my day. Well, I mean, I, you know, it's like we go on vacation, and my wife will say, "We're not telling them that there's internet here. There is internet, but we're not going we're to not tell them. Share the, we, the we, password. We're, yeah, or we're not going to give them the password. We we'll just tell them there is no internet here. Right. Because they do need to disconnect. And, yeah. Um, 
I, I wonder what the, the long-term effects are. Um, but you know, my mother agonized about how much time I spent on the computer before the internet. Or, you know, or my mother, uh, uh, how much time, how much time do you spend in front of that damn TV? Yeah. You know, <laughs> didn't hurt, it didn't hurt me. Yeah. I, I, I have hard, a hard time, um, <clears throat> believing that there are universal negative aspects um, to children using the internet. I, I think you should be guarded about your children using the internet and, and participatory with them. Um, but is the internet in a, a bad thing overall? I, you know, I've, I think, uh, children grow up much more informed and aware of the world because of the internet. Yeah. I was having a thought the other, I was thinking about this the other day. Yes, son. About the, uh, <laughs> ubiquity of the internet or like generations. Um, I'm in a weird in the middle. So, uh, your younger kids, you know, mm-hmm. little Mr. Bill, little Mrs. Bill, mm-hmm. have never grown up in a world where people didn't always have a phone. They just always had a phone. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was like a little kid and I got, you know, we got our first cell phone. Um, but I think like my kids or even gr- or maybe grandkids, like everything will be connected. Every item you own will just always be on the internet or Bluetooth and we'll talk to everything. We'll talk to each other and be in... Uh, all in a big network together, which we're starting to see now like with like refrigerators the home yeah your fridge will like send you a scr- toasters mm-hmm. and i don't um, i don't think there's anything horrible i i sort of like that i mean i've kind of kept up with technology which a lot of people my age have not and i enjoy it kind of i uh, my, my wife is sort of afraid of and i don't is there anything to be afraid of of you know your your google home device your alexa listening to you you know are those things are they going to listen to you and uh, do you trust trust uh, jeff bezos <laughs> well I, I don't I, trust I, his taste in women i'll tell you that <laughs> um you know i uh i have a very wired home right now and you know if if my garage door opens right now my phone lets me know mm-hmm. um and and that's useful yeah, it's useful um, because I want my garage to stay closed and I want my home to stay safe. And, and mm-hmm. I've, I've set it up in such a way where I don't have to pay a monthly subscription fee to anyone to do it for me. Um, so I, I think it's a, always a, a trade-off between uh, convenience and privacy. If you want complete co- privacy, you can move to a shack in the woods mm-hmm. and pay for everything with cash mm-hmm. and get off the grid and you'll have complete privacy. Um and a good place to write your manifesto. Um, You're the Unabomber. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but if you want to be able to buy things on Amazon, you need a credit card and you need a place for them to deliver it to. And Amazon is going to track everything you buy and try and pitch you other stuff because that's how they make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a loss of your privacy. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I don't jump on to a, a lot of the... Uh, uh, internet bandwagons immediately. Um, I, I kind of watch them for a while and decide if it's really necessary in my life before mm-hmm. I go that direction. Um, because I'm, I'm concerned about my privacy and, and, you know, I know my customers are concerned about their privacy as well. I mean, a lot of people still use us for internet services and email and web hosting and things like that. Even though they can't get connected to us, um, they still use us because of our privacy stances. You've you've talked a lot. I know in the past when you were running for office, you talked a lot about uh, freedom of speech on the internet, mm-hmm. um, those kinds of issues. Uh, net neutrality. <clears throat> is, net neutrality. Is, is, Talk is, about that a little bit. I have a 
it's a hard concept, I think, net neutrality for people to understand. Um, net neutrality is is what people simply say is is freedom of speech on the internet. The idea is is that if you're using, well, especially if if you have only one choice of an internet service provider, and throughout much of the country you have one, maybe two choices, um, and if you start shopping the competition on that internet service provider and they restrict your ability to get to that information, um, they're not necessarily violating a uh, the tenets of free speech as we know from the Constitution of the United States, but they're using their position as a monopoly to restrict what you can see. And the idea came about when um, somebody from AT&T said, we're going to start charging Google extra to use our network to get to our customers. Um, they're, they're, Google's not paying their fair share. Now, I think that's idiotic because if a company restricts their customers from getting to Google or Netflix or any of these other popular services, their customers are going to be outraged. They're not going to pay the money that they're paying to that company. So they need Google just as much as Google needs them. Um, but in, in any case, uh, they started throttling um, competition. They started throttling companies that weren't paying for them. Mm-hmm. And that's where uh, net neutrality came forward, where they said, you can't do that. You can't throttle. You can't restrict for monetary reasons. Now, I, I throttle and I restrict for technical reasons. Uh, my customers don't like receiving spam. Mm-hmm. So I actually block... Uh, sites on the internet that are sending me spam. Um, I need to do that to keep my customers satisfied and keep their email useful. Um, But if I blocked Netflix because Netflix wasn't paying me enough money to use my network, my customers would be leaving me in droves. Mm -hmm. Well, so for instance, uh, let's see, I have DirecTV and they uh, are not showing me Channel 5. Mm-hmm. Because what? So because Channel Five wants more. There's some sort of franchise fee that they're not paying to Direct TV, or yeah. vice versa. And um, the idea of the internet from the beginning was um, everyone would have equal access to the network, and nobody could say, "Okay, I'm not going to stream your channel because you're not paying me enough money." Yeah. Um, on the internet, theoretically, KSL could say, well, I don't need you, DirecTV. I'm going to stream it directly mm-hmm. to my customers. Yeah. Um, but when you're talking about Comcast being your only choice um, for uh, internet yeah. service. Yeah, but they're not. Well, in a lot of places they are. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, true. Uh, or, you know, Cox Cable or AT&T or a number of these places, there's, there's maybe one or two choices throughout 90% of the country. Um, and when you have a monopoly like that or a duopoly and that company makes decisions that you don't like, you don't have any choice to go to a competitor. Um, so that's, you know, the regulatory aspects of this is that they wanted to ensure this um, with, through the FCC. Mm-hmm. The FCC said, no, um, we didn't have uh, net neutrality in the early days of the Internet. We don't need it now. Um, I argue against that and that. The technology didn't exist to violate net neutrality in the early days of the <laughs> yeah. internet. Yeah. In the early days of the internet, we were just trying to get data from point A to point B. 
we weren't trying to th- slow it down or throttle it um, or, or charge uh, different prices for different traffic lanes on it. So uh, this is a new problem. And until we have robust competition, and this, this is a whole other matter, um, how we get there, uh, we do need protection of the consumers with net yeah. neutrality. So, so now the, the Internet, uh, we can uh, – we have a pretty uh, robust uh, – free. we have pretty robust free speech. We can – because we're doing a podcast, we can say shit and fuck and we can, you know – It's not covered. We can say whatever the fuck we want because it's not <laughs> covered by the fucking FCC. Uh, I worry that there will be a day when they're going to try and regulate that. They're going to try and regulate speech on the Internet. I think it's really, really difficult for them to do that. And the reason I say that is there are countries that have definitely tried to regulate the Internet mm-hmm. and restrict what people can do on the Internet. China does it. China has a, the Great Firewall of China is what they call it. Um, <laughs> but they also go after individual things where people are speaking against the government mm-hmm. and try and shut them down. The computers that are moving data around on the Internet don't care what you say, don't care what the picture is of they just think it's data ones and zeros they don't know what it is they, it just passes it from uh, one point to another and that data can be disguised and encrypted so nobody can look at it except for the person that's destined to um so whether they can completely restrict the internet um i think it would you, you would you if, if they wanted to restrict speech it would be coming down to saying well you said something naughty on the internet, I'm going to fine you. And it can be, becomes an enforcement problem. It's still going to happen on the internet. It's still going to be passed back and forth on the internet. Illegal activity happens on the internet every hour of every day. And it's an enforcement problem where, uh, you know, we, we cooperate with law enforcement under the guidelines of the Fourth Amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that activity is always going to happen because the internet, in my mind, um, is a society just like any other. And you're going to have a, a percentage of that that has illegal activity. Uh, you you made some comments that I thought were pretty interesting about free speech on the Internet, too, that <clears throat> you said that, you know, people like, uh, you know, the Daily Stormer, the Nazis, uh, the, the, the Proud Boys, you know, they have every right to say whatever they want to say right. on the Internet. They have the right to free speech. But you also have the right to to not not allow them well, on, not, not take their money to not take their money and not allow them right um, i've I've tried to take a very balanced approach to um, who uses X mission um, and as a result, well, for example, we have a donation policy where if you have a 501c3 and you need um, up to $50 a month in internet services, whether it's a, we- uh, a website or email or access, if we can give it to you, uh, we'll donate that to you, regardless of what your mission is. Just you need to be a 501c3. And that has given us uh, a spectrum of um, nonprofits that use our services. Um, however, if um, somebody came to me and said, I want to promote the Nazi party on your service, and I somehow got a 501c3, I'd refuse it because I'm amplifying something that I believe is dangerous. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, I, 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 I believe in free, free speech up to the point where um, your fist ends and my nose starts. Yeah. Um, and if you're inciting people to violence, I, I don't support it. It's, you know, it's yelling fire in a crowded theater. Um, and it's, it, I don't care if you're right or left or whatever, if you're encouraging somebody on the, on the Internet to, to go out and kill or blow up your opposition, you're inciting violence. People are afraid of the Internet, too, aren't they? They're, they're afraid of what's there. Well, and, and as we've seen in, in uh, the last election, the last major presidential election, um, the ability for a, a lie um, to travel around uh, the world before the truth puts on its shoes is very apparent <laughs> on the internet. That's an interesting way. To <laughs> Mark Twain said that a lie will travel halfway around the world before the truth puts on its shoes. It's interesting. Um, and the internet is is such an amplifier, and people think because it's published there on the screen that it's immediately true. Um, they don't, you know, the, the veracity of the story, they don't, they don't bother, uh, to check out the veracity or the, the circumstance because they're outraged immediately. Yeah. It's, it happened in the state of the union address last night when Donald Trump talked about the, uh, late term abortions and, and beautiful little babies being, uh, being born and killed on the operating table. And and it just is simply, and that's going to be what Republicans run on this year. They're going to be running on this late-term abortion thing where little babies are born and then killed. Which does and not happen. And it's just not true. Does not happen. It's, it's a lie, and Republicans know it's a lie, and they will run on it. And I don't understand it. Well, it I works don't for them. Get, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's that's an extremely powerful thing. I mean, you should... Uh, you should see some of the comments that uh, people leave on our Dr. Leah Torres episode from years ago that I delete all the time. <laughs> One yesterday. I don't. About how, how dare you have this baby killer on your show? How dare you kill those little babies? Like, it's such a, because it's such a powerful image that. Which, which is not true. Of course not. And we're setting such a bad example for the babies we have in cages down on the border. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or or or, or the really cr- ending on a positive. Note. <laughs> or the admi- well, we'll <laughs> we'll turn it around here in a second. Good. Or, or the or the administration saying, you know, it it's it would do more harm to those children that have been separated from their parents now at this point to re try to reunite them with their families. It would do more oh. harm to them psychologically. You know, I'm going to uh, FCC that one and say that's just such astounding bullshit. Yeah. Such astounding bullshit that separating somebody from their parents is better than keeping them with them. Yeah. Uh, so, Pete Ashdown, uh, you've, you've always done um, <clears throat> more than your share, I think, of uh, of uh, community service in terms – it makes it sound like you've been a prisoner. <laughs> you, know, well, you know, well, we're going to send you to some community service, Mr. Ashdown. <laughs> Uh, uh, where, uh, you know, if you go downtown and you need to use the internet, uh, usually you find a zone where X mission is, is available for free. We provide it, we provide it all over the place and yeah. it's something I'm happy to do. And, and we work with a number of local merchants to provide that access as well. And, um, I've, I've always felt that giving back to the community was an essential part of doing good business. Um, and it's something that a lot of businesses are, are, uh, understanding more and more, you know, there's this idea of um, social entrepreneurship where 
Mm. What your business doesn't have to be a, a vampire that just chews up resources and people. It's you know giving people a good job and a good environment to work in, and, and also giving back to the community that you live in. You ever think you'll run for political office again? You know, I am. I, I have wanted to. Um, running running against Orrin Hatch in two thousand six was one of the best experiences of my life. Um. And I, sh- you know, I look at some of the the idiotic things that Mike Lee is saying, and uh, he's up in twenty twenty two. But gosh, it's hard to win as a, a Democrat in Utah. I, I saw that you said that you you th- actually even thought about just changing party affiliation because if you're a Republican, you could win, and I, and you wouldn't really have to. Well, I did, and but I, th- I th- the things I stand for. <clears throat> Uh, the Republican Party has gone so far away from basic human dignity. Um, when I when I uh, I'm trying to remember his name, Bill um, Orton. Bill Orton. When I first ran, I I sat down with Bill Orton and I and he was a Democrat. He was a Democrat, dyed in the wool, and I I asked him, you know, why do you run as a Democrat? Why? why don't you run as a Republican? Wouldn't it be easier? And he said, I could not get myself clean in the morning if I was a Republican. <laughs> and especially what has happened since uh, Donald Trump took the presidency, I, I, the Republican is Republican Party is just a house full of shame. It makes you wonder how, uh, you know, I've uh, been around Spencer Cox, the lieutenant governor, quite some time quite a few times and talk to him and he's a republican and i think to myself you're not really a republican are you <laughs> and i you can't I, really be a republican certainly not you? a modern one i i don't i don't know how they reconcile with it i mean they're in power mm-hmm. they're doing things <clears throat> when i was running my dad said it doesn't it doesn't matter um if you lose because you'll not you, you won't be able to do anything it's it's you got to win however you can and I think that's what a lot of them have have come up with. I ran into two people in, in Vernal on the campaign who were on the county council, and they told me we were Democrats until we realized that we were never going to win. And so they switched parties, and now they're on the council. Um, it's But, it, you know, I still believe in, in principles like uh, what F, FDR espoused and, mm. and helping – the underprivileged, and everyone gets a leg up through education and healthcare, and and um, the the people who have done well in this country um, should share what they have uh, gained with the rest of the country because we help them get there. Yeah, yeah I, I agree, and and you know it's like when my accountant said to me one time, you know, we got to figure out a way to keep you from paying so much in taxes, and I said, well. You know, I really, Tom, I don't mind paying a lot. Of, I mean, I don't mind paying taxes. It goes to help people. What? What? <laughs> what? You don't mind paying taxes? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I I don't mind paying taxes. I, I pay for all the health care of my employees, and I would be happy to take that same money. Can I work for you? <laughs> <laughs> I would be happy to take that same amount of money. Or even more, if it meant we had Medicare for all, yeah, and put it into that. Yeah, I um, I've talked to other business owners who don't do that, and I just I, I think it's it's um, pathetic. Yeah. Uh, Pete, uh, a pleasure to uh, 
sit down and talk to you. Thank you, Bill. And uh, you I hope too. W- nice Delicious sandwich. sandwich yes. yes. And I, he didn't eat too much in the microphone, did he? Well, I don't know. Uh, Dylan just <laughs> hates I? it. Dylan <laughs> just hates it when people eat into the microphone. I don't tweet at Bill. Tweet at Bill and let him know your thoughts about that. eating on at microphone. At RFH Bill. People say they don't like it when I eat on the microphone, but I don't. I don't. What's the What's the problem? People do it in movies all the time. They eat. People eat. All right, that's it. <laughs> uh, listen, uh, thanks, Pete Ashdown, and uh, uh, remember X Mission. One of the oldest uh, internet service providers in the country, and the certainly the oldest and the first independent in Utah. In Utah, uh, and uh, remember, uh, next time you're pouring the drinks, always pour me a double sugar house distillery. That's what. There you go. That's the kind of drink you want, right there. There you that's go. It.